Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Well, do, do pick up a Bible now, because we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2, page 1179. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it's a great opportunity, this, a precious opportunity for us to really see what Jesus' coming means for us and to dig into that together. And James Bunyan is going to come in a few moments' time to, to preach uh, for us. Uh, but first, we're going to have uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 to 11 read, and Vicky is going to come and do this, page 1179. Thanks, Vicky. Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Then all right? Good, terrific. Um, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's Christmas time. I can see a Christmas tree. I'm feeling very jolly. Why aren't we doing a Christmas passage? Where's the baby in the manger? Where's the wise men? Where's the camel? Where's the Christmas cat? Well, we're actually, as Ed said already, we're going to take a pause, if you like, from all the Christmassy services, which are happening kind of all around uh, the next two mornings, to do a mini series. Think about why exactly it is that Jesus came. It's an interesting fact that of the four Gospels, uh, so many of them, uh, two of them talk about Jesus' birth, but all of them go big on his death and on his resurrection at the end of his life. And so we're going to dig into why exactly it is that Jesus came through this passage. And it is a great passage. It's a favourite of so many people. It's a beautiful one, a, a poetic one. It's, you see it's indented a little bit in your church Bible, probably because it's like an earlier hymn that Paul kind of quotes and kind of adopts in, quite possibly. Or he came up with it himself. Those are the two kind of options. But either way, it's a particularly poetic part of the Bible. One scholar I was enjoying this week uh, said, this is like the Mount Everest of the book of Philippians. So let's go climb. Why don't I pray? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Father, fill our minds with Jesus so that we can be like him, so that we can love him more, so that we can serve one another as he's done for us. Amen. So it goes like this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness. I've just realized I'm not giving you handouts. You need the handouts. Um, Tom, they're just behind you on the, on the, on the chair that I was sat on. There they are. Um, we also need pens. Terrific. You'll see in about five minutes when that reaches you that the first point we're looking at today is that Jesus was humbled. First of all, he was humbled in his incarnation. Incarnation is the first of two complex theological words we're going to learn today. Incarnation. It means to become human. It's not used in the passage, but it captures what's going on there in this poem. Jesus became human. Think of kind of chili con carne, meat. He's kind of put into flesh. And this is massively humbling for Jesus because he was, as this poem says at the start, in very nature, God. Christians believe in God the Trinity, that God is one God, but he's in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here we have the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who is eternal, who takes part in God the Trinity. And in eternity past, loving and pouring love and joy into each of the persons of God, God the Father, loving God the Son, loving God the Holy Spirit, pouring into one another in the midst of God's very self. That's what he's always been doing. That's what he always will do. But he didn't just want to use that for his own advantage. He stepped away from his status and that perfection and stepped into human flesh. We need to do a little bit of uh, theology here. The church spent about 400 of its first years working out exactly what it means that the man Jesus Christ was God. What does that mean exactly? Well, it doesn't mean that he stopped being God when he was born and then he became human for a little bit. He didn't substitute his divinity for his humanity. He added to his divinity his humanity. In other words, that baby lying in that straw that we're celebrating at this time of year is fully God, and he's also fully human. That's the correct distinction. He didn't replace his godness, he added his humanness. So when it says in verse 7, rather he made himself nothing, it doesn't mean that he kind of emptied, threw away his God bit but he just stepped away from his status as the eternal son of God, ruling and reigning in eternity, and became human. Now, just to pause here for a second, I think, that is lovely, isn't it? Because it is ugly when people use their own position for gain. Isn't it? The MP's kind of expenses scandal corrupt presidents in different nations who gain, use their office to gain huge amounts of wealth. One I struggled with in my early years, when the football coach picks his kid as centre forward at school instead of you. Even though his kid can't run, or shoot, or kind of do anything. It should have been me. (laughs) It's just ugly when people use their own position for gain. But whereas I've talked about those kind of big picture, very evil ones, there's a temptation, isn't there, for all of us to do that in some way. Maybe we get a little bit of status or get a little bit of position. 
I, in the summer, became an official reverend. Uh, that's a thing. It doesn't come with thousands of perks, it has to be said. There's no company car. But what there is, uh, is this. This is very exciting. This is the Richmond upon Thames Borough Council clergy parking permit. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this is great. So when you're on clergy business, you can just park wherever you like in Richmond. So, I mean, that is incredible power, isn't it? And the thing is, because that's incredible power, it's tempting to misuse that every now and then. To claim that parking across double yellow lines in Richmond to pop into McDonald's is clergy business. It's just enormously tempting. I haven't done it yet. It's just very easy to use your status, your position, to your own advantage. And if we're honest, I kind of think Jesus is one of the only people that, if he did that, it'd kind of be all right. He is God, so he can do what he likes. But what he likes to do is to step down from glory, to be amongst humanity, and to serve other people. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Imagine how frustrating that would be. The infinite God of everything coming to dwell within a little human baby. The infinite into finite. The omnicompetent into... I don't think I'm being harsh when I say relatively incompetent. Babies are... To begin with, they're rubbish. That's kind of the whole point, aren't they? They, you know, they can't do anything. They, they're vulnerable. They're ineffectual. They need help for everything. Feeding, sleeping, toileting. In one of our kids' songs, we sing uh, these beautiful lines, which are made no less profound because Trina's sort of waving her arms at the front while we sing them. Would you know that baby's cry? Voice the order that lit the sky. Would you know it once cried, let there be? Would you guess that tiny hand once held galaxies in its span? I think is that would be amazing in and of itself. But Jesus didn't just become human. He became a very, very average human being, born into a kind of working-class family. He, he spent time as refugees in a foreign land, born in imperial backwater. He was literally born in a barn. He was a wandering preacher, homeless, and it has to be said, there was at least a mixed response to his preaching. He didn't get born straight away into a palace, but in a stable. That's that word it uses all the way through this poem. He was a servant of people. Everything he did, he did in the service of others. Healing all kinds of people who came across him. Teaching people exactly what they wanted to hear. Challenging authority for the sake of the vulnerable. Whenever you read uh, one of the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels in the first half of the New Testament, it just, his schedule is just so grueling, isn't it? He's just constantly on the go, constantly serving people, constantly in demand. Once or twice he tries to nip off to have a bit of rest or a pray, and crowds literally are flooding in from all directions to pester him. 
And he does it all because he wants to serve people. He was humbled in his incarnation. Secondly, he was humbled in his crucifixion. If it's shocking that God the Son became human, and it is, how much more shocking is it that God the Son, that human being, died? Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, Philippians says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You read about Jesus' life, and it is one of the most stunning lives that's ever been lived. He was selfless, completely sinless, innocent. He always knew the right thing to say, the right thing to do, the right way to be. He was divine. That doesn't stop the fact that at the end of it all, he was opposed by religious leaders, betrayed by a friend, abandoned by his disciples, condemned by a kangaroo court, and executed by the imperial authorities. In a few uh, weeks' time, as Ed says, we're going to be putting on the Mark drama. Uh, that's at Easter. I- I'd love to really commend that to you. It's a fantastic thing to be involved in. A kind of live performance and basically speaking the gospel of Mark to a whole group of people. And you just see the life of Jesus unfold in front of you. It is it's honestly fantastic. And we're looking for 15 actors. So do make a note of that information night. If you have even the slightest inkling that you'd like to be involved, then come and then tell me no afterwards. But we've done it loads of times in different universities around the country. And I remember we invited a guy who was from mainland China. He'd literally never heard the name of Jesus before. And he came to this play. And he sat and he watched the life of Jesus unfold before his eyes. And at the end of it, he said, why do they kill him? He was great. It's quite a hard question to answer, isn't it? Jesus is great. Just think, 2,000 years ago, a normal bloke in the Roman Empire woke up one morning and his job was to execute the Son of God. It wasn't just any execution. It was crucifixion. He was nailed to a cross, lifted into the air, and left for hours to writhe and die. What's the worst part of crucifixion? Well, there's the physical pain. So when you're nailed to this cross with railway spikes through the nerve endings in your wrists and in your ankles, you're lifted up into the air, and your body weight slowly dislocates your shoulders. And it brings you down, and you have to push up with your feet for as long as you've got energy, because otherwise it will crush your rib cage. You suffocate. You dehydrate in the heat. But eventually the thing that kills you is drowning, actually, as fluid flows into your lungs. It's designed to be horrifically painful. But that wasn't the worst part for Jesus. Was it the shame? Because we kind of, we mind less about shame in a kind of Western culture. But in some parts of the world, shame is, is worse than any physical pain. And this way of dying was designed to heap shame upon the person who experienced it. 
This was reserved for the worst, the basest of criminals. They'd been stripped naked, bleeding and dying for hours. But also, we think of Jesus being lifted high up into the air. Probably when you're crucified, you're crucified at eye level. So that people walking past can look into your eyes or spit in your face. Know that you're a criminal, that you deserve this. Everything about it is ignoble. Now, those two things are bad. The thing is, there are other people in history who've experienced those. What made the death of Jesus so humiliating? Well, partly what made it bad for Jesus is how little he deserved it, how he'd come from glory and splendor and love with his Father and descended right the way down through human nature down to the lowest death you can die. But it wasn't even that. It was this. Because spiritually, what the gospel writers want us to see time and time again is as Jesus died on the cross, the sin of the world and the wrath of God was poured on Jesus' shoulders. As he died, the worst burden of all was all of God's righteous justice because of the wrong things that humanity does. The curse of the world poured upon Jesus. It was an unimaginable burden. And he chose to bear it. Because by it, he took our sin and he crushed it. And in that moment, he can offer us forgiveness and the kind of everlasting joy that he had with God the Father in eternity past, he offers it to you and I. He takes us, scrubbed clean of our sin, dressed in his righteousness and goodness, given back to the Father as holy people. So he, he'll happily do it. Yeah, I'll take this on. He is the suffering servant of you and I. Jesus, eternal and glorious, humbled in his incarnation, humbled in his crucifixion. And really, that's almost one work, if you like. Paul is presenting it as one long sweep down to the depths. And next week, spoiler, we're going to go back up again. But before we do, one thing to observe before we think about us. There's that really important phrase, he humbled himself. It's worth saying that some people, when you hear about this, you think, look, what is God's problem? What? Poor old Jesus. Jesus just kind of offers himself. He does all this stuff. And God punishes Jesus really unfairly. And, you know, he hasn't got a say in it. And it is true, actually, that, that Jesus is obedient to the will of the Father, that, that kind of God wanted to do this. It talks about becoming obedient to death, verse 8, even death on a cross, but it is not true that this wasn't in Jesus' plan too. Jesus did it utterly, willingly. There's that phrase, isn't it? He made himself nothing at the start of verse 7. And in verse 8, he humbled himself. In other words, this was Jesus' decision. No one humiliates Jesus against his will. No. He's God. He humbled himself. And the reason that's important, for, well, there's lots of reasons. One, because of what that does to, between God the Father, God the Son, how they work together in love and unison. But also, it's worth knowing that he did that for us willingly. Now, all of this, as we get halfway through this amazing poem, should leave us with one burning, blazing thought 
in our minds and stamping itself on our hearts, and that's this. Jesus must really love me. Jesus must really, really love me. And he does. That's his thing. Life can send us lots of knocks, illness, bereavement. We could lose a job. We could lose basically everything in life, except for one thing, the knowledge that Jesus really loves you. We can kind of look back to that past finished act. This is how it works in Christianity. Like, does he still love me? And you look back and you see him bleeding, suffering, dying on the cross. You go, yeah. That cross still speaks the same word to me now, that he loves me. Okay. Great. What do we do about it? Phenomenal to dig into this poem. But the way the New Testament works, and we should have a little slide for it on on the screen, actually, is this is the pattern of the New Testament. Jesus saves us, so we respond. It's not the other way around. It's not we do lots of good things and then Jesus saves us. No, no, the arrow is firmly that way. It's like the one-way sign that Johnny had earlier. Um, Jesus saves us, so we respond. So how do we respond to this? What are the things that we need to do as a result of this? Well, there's a lot. But let me pick out one that Paul goes big on, and that's verse 3. What we should do, verse 3, is do nothing. Do nothing. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Lots of words there. Uh, I've got my definitions that I came up with on the screen. Selfish ambition, I, I reckon this is desperately trying to get ahead in a way that hurts other people. Selfish ambition. Ambition, not necessarily a bad thing, but when it's selfish, you don't mind climbing on other people's heads. And vain conceit, what does that mean? Well, it's wrongly showing the world just how much better you are than other people. It's not just having kind of reasonable self-esteem, it's just kind of, oh, I need everyone to see that I'm incredible. Paul says, do nothing of that. All of that, bad. This good, that bad. See, the, the world kind of does the opposite. The world goes, no, 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 that's good. That's good, that's what you want. Climb the ladder. Shine. This stuff, bad. This stuff, weak. This stuff, good. No, no, no. Jesus turns this on its head. <laughs> the Christian should not be like this. And it's worth pointing out Paul's phraseology. He doesn't leave a lot of wriggle room, does he? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Well, what about if I... No, nothing. It's, it's a really high bar. And actually, uh, if you don't like high bars, it gets worse. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, we've seen how much Jesus did for the sake of serving other people. Do we have to do, we have to do that as well? Do we have to go that far? Well, Paul is saying that Jesus did an infinite amount in order to serve you and I and give us exactly what it is that we needed. And we need to have the same mindset. That there's actually no limit in our service of God and of our neighbour. That's what Christianity teaches. 
It's a really high bar. Think about that. No limit. A church that had no limit in how much it was willing to serve other people would be phenomenal, wouldn't it? What a beautiful community to be a part of. And it would turn the world upside down. It has in the past. It will do again. And imagine a church like this. But it would be enormously costly. Serving other people costs huge amounts of time, comfort, prestige, maybe even finance. In certain parts of the world, it costs you your safety, your health, maybe even your life. It's worth asking ourselves, when was the last time you did something genuinely costly in the service of other people? Really uncomfortable, really costly, something you didn't really want to do. May I just suggest to us that a faith that doesn't really challenge us, that's always comfortable, isn't really a Christian faith? Look, you might say, it's all a bit much. My mate invited me to church this morning, this is a bit intense. Isn't it just, we don't have to do this, surely I'd rather not, it's just better not to, it's just a bit much. Well, sure, but it's worth remembering that Jesus, in eternity past, as he was stood in the departure lounge, as he was looking ahead to everything he had to do and achieve, around this time of year at Advent, he looked at all he had to do to serve you and I, and he didn't think it was a bit too much. Praise God. Let me pray. Father God, we give you great thanks and praise that Jesus has served us. All true Christianity begins at that moment, at that realization that Jesus loves us that this is how we know he loves us. That while we were far away from him, he came to be with us, to die for us. Help us to spend our lives rejoicing in that. And Lord, you gently draw us out of ourselves. You challenge us in our selfish ambition, our vain conceit. Help us to put you first, to serve others, to have the same mindset as Jesus. Amen. I forgot to say, he rises again from the dead, by the way, just in case you don't make it next week, but we'll dig into that next week. We're going to respond by singing. So why don't you stand, and we'll sing uh, uh, our hymn together.